You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey, you, welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. Joe Ellen Naughty is joining us this week, and I'm ridiculously excited that we get to talk all about sex and depression, uh, being in relationship in these times of physical isolation, whether we're in a shared space with a partner or far away and the impacts of what it means to be inside of a global pandemic and how some of us might be coping. It's a really timely and important conversation for these particular times. I'm also super excited because Joe Ellen is a speaker at this year's Explore More Summit, which if you're listening to this on the day it drops, is tomorrow. Explore More Summit happens April 20th to the 29th. It's our sixth summit. Holy shit. 10 days, 28 talks. And if you register, it is free to attend live. So you can watch one talk for the whole 10 days or one talk a day, or if you want to be really ambitious, multiple talks per day. There's two to three talks every day for 10 days. Plus, we've made these incredible workbooks that will be permission slips and balms and take us to curious, deep, beautiful places. I want to tell you just a couple of the folks that you're going to get to see at Explore More Summit. It's amazing. Uh, Amber Rice is going to be there, who is a very, very funny human being and therapist talking all about the inner critic. Andrea Glick is joining us, who you might know on Instagram as Somatic Witch. We're talking about attachment theory, regulation, consensual non-consent, and impact play as a way to heal. Be Nourished, Dana and Hillary are going to be there talking about the importance of enjoying the food that we eat and boundaries. Speaking of boundaries, Mackenzie Mack will also be there talking about boundary work. Catherine Jesse, who is one of the founding members for the Institute on Somatic Sex Education, is there. We're talking all about erotic touch and being witnessed in our most vulnerable spaces. Clementine Morgan uh, is going to be there. And Clementine does all kinds of really awesome work about trauma-informed polyamory. And we have a really interesting discussion about how most mainstream polyamory texts really position us as, um, as kind of like the ideal version of ourselves and leaves out the impact of trauma, depression, 
uh, anxiety, PTSD, and so many of the other things that can make it really difficult for us to regulate and to be in relationship with others. So that's really interesting. Clementine also talks about the magic of being in a trauma body. Uh, Darcy Steinke is there, who you heard on the show a couple months ago, talking all about menopause. Graham Seabrook is talking about why motherhood is broken. Gwen Ramundi, who's a therapist that is the clinical director of Trauma and Co. on Instagram, is talking all about uh, soothing our nervous systems and trauma and healing inside of a broken culture. Ilya Parker from Decolonizing Fitness, Dr. Jennifer Mullen, who you might know from Decolonizing Therapy, plus uh, Kai Cheng Tom, who you've heard on the show, Lama Rod Owens talking about love and rage, uh, The Pleasure Mechanics, Nora Samaran, who wrote Turn This World Inside Out, The Emergence of Nurturance Culture. We've got uh, Rachel Cole talking about living a well-fed life. Prentice Hemphill, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter and does all kinds of work about embodiment and somatics. There's just so much. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Sexologist Shamira talking about intimacy. The conversations this year are just extraordinary. They're so important and they really speak to this particular time we're in with all of the trauma we're experiencing, the importance of community accountability. I mean, I just can't say enough about how proud I am. And because it's free to register, literally, even if all you fit in is like a half of one talk, it's a half of a talk that has so much depth and meaning. And I hope you'll join us. You can see all the details plus the schedule at exploremoresummit.com. I would love every single one of you to join us there because it's going to be so special. And let me tell you a little bit about Joe Ellen. So Joe Ellen Naughty is a certified sex educator, writer, speaker, sexuality researcher, and mental health advocate. She blogs at the Redhead Bedhead and has been published by the BBC, Glamour, Bitch Media, Exo Jane, and Kinkley. Joellen's book, The Monster Under the Bed, Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We Aren't Having, just came out a couple of weeks ago. And holy shit, is it important for this particular moment in time when so many of us are struggling with our mental health and physical isolation and loneliness and depression. So that's what Joellen and I are really going to be diving deep into today. I think it's a really important conversation. I'm so excited that you're going to be here. Please do send in your questions. I'm going to have an episode coming up super soon with all of your emails and questions. So if there's something you could use some support around, resources you need, uh, just a little bit of input, please go to dawnsarah.com and send me a note using the contact form. I absolutely love hearing from you. So here is my conversation with Joe Ellen Naughty. Welcome back to Sex Gets Real, Joe Ellen. I am so excited you're here to talk to us about sex and depression. <laughs> I am so excited too. As strange as it sounds, I enjoy talking about this topic so much. And what an extraordinarily important time for your book <laughs> to be hitting the world. Like, could not have timed this better if I tried. Um, it's funny because, you know, I canceled my whole book tour and everything because of the coronavirus, but it just keeps hitting me like how much so many of us are struggling right now. 
And so for a minute, it was like, mm-hmm. well, my book isn't happening because this virus is. And now it's like, nope, here's my book. Please read it. I know you're all struggling. Yes. So that's where I kind of would like for us to start. I keep seeing people who are really struggling with how hard things are, you know, who are feeling bad about not being able to get out of bed, about how much longer it's taking them to do things that would normally take them, say, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, how it takes them hours and hours or days. And I feel like it's so important for us to name that, like, we're literally inside of a trauma. Yeah. I feel like we are all living a depressive episode right now. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's shocking. It's going to sound strange to say, but luckily for me, I've been in a depressive episode for about a year now. And so this mm-hmm. all happened. And there's actually an article going around about this, about how for people with depression and anxiety, there's a little bit for some of us of a feeling of relief. Yes. Because the whole world is on our page now. Mm-hmm. But I do notice that um, since everybody has gone into lockdown, I've been able to be a little gentler with myself because I've spent the whole year beating myself up about not working fast enough, not exercising enough, whatever. And now I've been able to look around and be like, okay, this is hard for everybody in these circumstances. This isn't a thing I'm screwing up. This isn't a way I'm failing. We're all struggling with this together. And something about that has been very comforting. Yeah, I've been seeing so many friends of mine who are living with chronic illness or disability who normally aren't able to leave the house for long periods of time because of pain or access issues or resources and and how there's kind of this feeling of now you finally understand. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this because I'm realizing not only did I know you then, but I think I did the Explore More Summit for the first time in 2015 during a period mm-hmm. where I was housebound with a bad injury. I like barely yes, left my house I do for remember. four months. And yeah. I think that's another reason that like this all happened. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm home. I can do home. But then mm-hmm. I realized with all of us in this moment, so many things are so much harder. Like, you know, I used to get yes. groceries delivered. Now there's nobody to do that. And it, it's, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard, folks. I hear you. I see you. I know you're all struggling. And if you're not, good for you. I'm proud of you too. You're, you're all doing great. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to name too that some of us who experience anxiety and panic or who experience mental health struggles are really, really good at coping. Yeah. And so it might look like we're functioning normally and it might look like we aren't being impacted that much, but we all we have such fantastic coping skills for looking normal and seeming productive that that's also probably like if at some point there's a crash like for me last week there was a day where I was like I just I'm not gonna get out of bed today I I just had to let that be true and I think um because of the pressure to present you know normal in day-to-day life a lot of us don't realize when we're coping so I mentioned earlier you know I had to cancel my book tour a whole lot of everything changed. And the day it happened, I cried. And then I was like, yeah, you know, I cried a little bit, but I made my peace with it and whatever. 
cut to like four days ago, hysterical sobbing on the phone to my boyfriend about how everything fell apart and everything, whatever. And I realized that I, I hadn't dealt with it. I just kind of put on my like coping shoes and forged ahead. And I still needed to have that like breakdown of, oh my God, all of this is awful and I hate it. Yep. So it's okay if you catch yourself having that breakdown. I keep crying during like Grey's Anatomy. Yes. For, like I think no reason other than I need to cry. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I want to just kind of note too, you know, I mean, you have spent the past couple of years doing phenomenal research and surveys and interviews with people about sex and depression and relationships and depression. And, you know, at this particular moment in history, because of this pandemic that we're in, um, we might be doing relationship a little differently. You know, it might be a little harder for us to make things look glamorous or to to put on the fancy clothes and to flirt or maybe putting on the fancy clothes to flirt is how we're coping and giving ourselves just a little bit more space to be kind of figuring out this really uncomfortable space. And I, I think... I feel uniquely qualified to help us all talk about Yay! this because, <laughs> yeah, right? Because um, I feel like this is tangentially related. I am a non-monogamous person. I, for the last five years, have never lived closer than like two hours away from any partner. So I'm used to having relationships, but not being with people for long periods of time. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that's a struggle for people. But also, I've got this lifetime of depression and chronic injuries. So I also know what it's like to be in the same space as somebody and not have that feeling of wanting to engage sexually, wanting to be touched or touch someone. Like, there's two sides of, like, (laughs) relationship unpleasantness going on right now. I see a lot of people who are, like... I'm stuck somewhere far away from my partner and that's awful. And then I see a lot of people who are like, I, I'm, I'm stuck at home. The internet is saying I should be having a lot of sex right now, but I am just panicked and sad constantly and don't want yep. to. And I feel like all of you people, I am here for you. I like, I get all of these feelings and they're legit and they're real things yeah. that I think we don't in day-to-day life give enough lip service to. Yeah. 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 And my hope, like part of what's breaking my heart so much about this is seeing how domestic violence rates are skyrocketing, Mm. you know, knowing that people are really stuck, like for people that are in relationships that aren't safe, uh, where maybe they can kind of get by when they're both going to work, or at least one is, and now you're at home all of the time. And knowing how for some people surviving inside the home is more difficult than surviving out in the world right now. And even just kind of like dialing that back to relationships that maybe aren't abusive, but relationships where there hasn't been a culture of like openness and play and curiosity. Cause maybe we were just kind of following the relationship escalator and now we're kind of at a place where we maybe don't have the communication skills we want that can feel like flailing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I read like a 
So advice columns are kind of one of my guilty pleasures. And I read one the other day where this woman was saying, I am engaged. My partner and I both work long hours and, and, you know, so we would see each other on the weekends and, you know, we've been engaged for a couple of months and now we're trapped home together and we're working from home. And I think I maybe don't like him. Yes. <laughs> what do I do about that? <laughs> and, and I thought, oh my God, that's, that's actually fascinating because, you know, clearly I, I work from home. I, talk about feelings constantly. I'm in the like big, happy, open communication bubble. But like, if you're outside that and you know, somebody checks your boxes and you've been, you know, trundling along in your relationship, this is an amazing time to kind of see how you actually feel about that. And I think, you know, as somebody who got super trapped on the relationship escalator in my twenties, I could see this bringing about those moments of like, oh crap, I thought I wanted to get married, but I definitely don't want to get married to this person. Yeah. (laughs) Not you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we're talking a lot about coronavirus babies when really we need to think about like people who are going to have their like how Stella got her groove back moment when this all ends and they get rid of the relationships that weren't good. Yes. Oh my God, can we host a retreat for people to like come feel free and sexy after this is over? Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, it really is a moment of, for many of us, there's like a reckoning that's gonna happen, right? Of like, does this person really care about my well being? Are they able to offer grace when I make mistakes? Are they, you know, curious and wanna do play? And uh, are we able to talk about things that feel interesting? Are we kind of growing and deepening into our connection? Or are we finding we actually don't have very much in common? There's not a whole lot I wanna talk to this person about. They're kind of expecting me to behave the way that I would behave outside of this. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things we can be asking ourselves and and noticing into. I think one of the most uncomfortable things that I've found in this work, and I'm sure I'm sure you've found this too, is so many people that come through like my coaching practice or my classes, they're scared to ask the questions because they're terrified that if they really finally find the answer, it means they have to then immediately take action to like dismantle their lives. And there's another way that's uncomfortable, but we can start feeling into answers and other choices we might want to make without necessarily having to change anything. And like, that's not to say it's not uncomfortable, but we can find ways to make this work now, knowing I might need something different when the options are more open. Absolutely. And I think there's something for me, I talk a lot in my work about depression or around depression about how when you're like not engaging sexually or you're, you're not feeling connected to your partner, you want to take a look and say like, okay, do I just have no desire to do this? Or do I still love them and feel all those things, but everything is hard right now. And I think there's a similar approach we need to take dealing with relationships in the time of coronavirus, which is like, 
when you see these struggles popping up, are these struggles popping up because it's a tense time and it's a hard time and everything is different than it was even a couple weeks ago? Or are these struggles popping up because being trapped together is like magnifying what was already happening in your relationship? Yes. And being able to look at that and be honest about that, I think it gives you options to how you're going to proceed. Because if if things suck right now because things suck right now, cool. Like batten down the hatches, cuddle up, or or don't touch each other, whatever, that's up to you. And go through it together. If you're looking at it and being like, wow, this illness has taught me that my relationship was unhealthy, then you've got a different path you're going to want to take. I so appreciate that distinction. I I think lots of us are feeling kind of agitated and like we want to be able to have the choice to go sit at our favorite coffee shop or see our friends and have dinner parties and, and even just holding the collective fear and anxiety. Like we're literally surrounded by people who are scared a lot of the time, who are stressed a lot of the time, who are losing family members. And, you know, I mean, like it's a lot, it's, it's a lot for us to be holding. And so I love this question of like, are in general things just feeling off? Is it difficult to do work to concentrate? Do you just really want to like sit and watch Netflix and eat ice cream or, you know, lose yourself in books, noticing those kinds of things of like, Oh, well, I think maybe I'm just kind of numbing things in general. Don't feel good. I love that you're offering people that versus, you know, are things, kind of not how we want them to be, but I'm generally doing okay. But this person I'm starting to realize really isn't who I thought they were. <laughs> it's, it's, I think we as a society tend to be very black or white. So like wake up one day and we're kind of grumpy at our partner and suddenly it's like, is this awful? Should I end this relationship? Right. <laughs> Do we hate each other now? But like, <laughs> it's, it's, imp- my partner has been very good at pointing out like, I'll say to him, like, everything feels awful and I feel like I'm just so mean and you must hate me. And he's like, or I can look at the circumstances happening around us and see that a bunch of crap is going on and think about how I want to support you during that. And that taught me some valuable lessons about kind of teasing out what is the person and what are the circumstances? Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so like, you know, so much of what the work that you do and what your book offers and the work that we do here on the podcast is not about being perfect all of the time or like leveling up to a point where things never bother us, but it's exactly what you just named of we're still going to snip at each other. We're still going to not have grace towards each other. Sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing or have shitty days or, you know, depression or anxiety are going to take over, but we'll have all kinds of other skills that help to make the repair a little bit easier. You know, like the other day, um, Alex was super agitated because he was stressed about something and, and a couple of years ago, me would have a hundred percent internalized that. Oh my God, it's me. He's not telling me something. Mm-hmm. I've done something wrong and he doesn't want to be here anymore. All my abandonment stories would have come up, but I just kind of kept doing what I was doing. And sure enough, like 20 minutes later, he came over and he was like, I'm really dysregulated. Can we just hug so that I can kind of mm-hmm. like calm down and be here? And we hugged for a really long time. And then afterwards we both felt better. But it wasn't that neither of us were agitated and stories weren't there. It's just we had some other choices. And that's 
that's what I love about what you're offering. Like with your work and your book is we're going to fall down. We're going to have hard days. Depression's going to just like knock on the door really loudly sometimes. So what can we do that helps to make getting through those times a little bit easier? How can we be a team? <laughs> Support each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk some more though about the stories we tell ourselves? Um, yes, because <laughs> I am a fantastic storyteller in my head and they are all catastrophic. <laughs> always, always. always. If you don't think I have, like, I've spent the last, like, three weeks on this, like, train of my brain going, see, your book tour got cancel- canceled. Your book came out during a pandemic. You, like, bad things happen to you. You don't get to, like, enjoy things because that's a story in my family. It was always presented as everything came easily to my brother and I struggled for everything. Mm-hmm. And now that we're adults, we see those things popping up. Like he feels like he's not allowed to feel when things aren't going well. And I feel like it is my assigned role to have everything go wrong all the time. Yeah. And that carries into my relationship. And with it, on the back of it comes a lot of like, I'm not worth you taking the time to think about me. I'm not worth whatever. And my God, folks, we really need to take a look at what are the stories that we tell ourselves and how do they color what we see happening around us? Yeah. Right. Because I, (laughs) my brother always says to me, he he says, your story isn't a tragedy. It's um, like about overcoming things. So instead of my family's old story of like, everything goes wrong for Joellen, my brother pitched to me, like, what if your story was Joellen overcomes bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. was like my eyes like flew open Mm -hmm. and I thought oh my god it's it's not I'm on a collision course with like garbage all the time it's that like I'm you know Mario running through the level hopping up and banging coins out of boxes with my head and I think if we're not aware of the stories Mm -hmm. we can't in our relationships we're gonna struggle because the stories are in our heads they're not in our partner's heads yeah So when your partner does something and you say, oh my God, he's going to abandon me because everybody abandons me. It's happened before, whatever. Your partner doesn't know that that's going on in your head. And then they look at how you're responding to them and they maybe have their own story. Yes. And you're all just spiraling out of control. Tell each other your stories, folks. Yeah. I think that's so important. Like, I think the first step is realizing that we, we tell stories. Right. That Mm -hmm. like what we hear in our head and our fears aren't universal. They're not things that other people can hear or know they're, they are our stories. And then learning what our stories are, I think is kind of the next step. And then once we kind of figure out what our stories are, being able to realize when we're telling ourselves one of them and then practicing doing that interrupting thing, uh, which is hard and it's, and it takes a lot of practice, you know, but yeah, Yeah. I think that's so important. Like what are those stories we tell ourselves about those worst case scenarios or, oh my God, he's not attracted to me anymore. Or, oh my God, she doesn't love me. I'm going to be left. This is it. This is the sign. And being able (laughs) to just like, hold on just a second. (laughs) Yeah. I think I've told that to myself before and it didn't come true. So what are the chances (laughs) that maybe it's not true right now? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's so important because honestly, we can spin out so quickly in our own Mm -hmm. minds. And I know for me, at least, it frequently doesn't have a ton to do with what's going on in front of me at that moment. Yes. 100%. And, and there's so many different versions of those stories, you know, but they almost always play off of the part of ourselves that fundamentally feels unworthy. Yeah. Yeah. So for, yeah, I'm trying to remember, cause I know uh, some ideas repeat in her books, but there's one Brene Brown book where she hits really hard on the stories we tell ourselves. Oh, yes. And I can't remember which one it is. So folks, just go read Brene Brown. She's fabulous. Yeah, I love the the stories we tell about like our unworthiness. You know, so mm-hmm. like one of my stories that'll come up is this is it. He wants out. He's finally figured it out. I'm going to be left. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, of course, yeah. there's a deeper part of me that's like, and you know, I'm going to be okay. I'm really great alone. I love being single, but that (laughs) voice can get really loud and seem like it's the only story. Yeah. But then there's the other stories we tell ourselves when things are good and we're terrified of the loss, kind of that vulnerability fear, you know, how, how Brene tells that story about having that perfect night with her husband and they went out to dinner and they came home and they were standing on the porch and it was this really romantic full moon and they were getting ready to kiss. And then all of a sudden in her head, she's like, Oh my God, somebody's about to jump out of the bushes and like try and murder us. Yeah. And it's because it can be hard to allow things to be good when they're good, because then if they stop being good, it hurts too much. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, I've spent the last year waiting for this book to come out with the idea that, like, it's great that, that I got a publisher and I wrote a book and these are accomplishments. But as soon as it comes out, somebody's going to, like, I don't know. I, the joke I keep telling is that I've been waiting for the person who reads the book and is like, oh, honey, no. you thought this was a book? No. <laughs> and And what's great about and by great, I mean terrible folks, about the catastrophizing mind is that mind is now going, well, coronavirus has delayed you seeing people, but those people are out there waiting to say, oh, honey, to you. Yeah. And um, I think none of that's true, but (laughs) my brain is really convinced it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, and and I think what you just pointed out is so important too, because the story that we tell ourselves morphs immediately. You know, yes. like when, when circumstances change, it's like, well, nobody could possibly love you when you're going out into the world. Well, I, I'm not going out into the world anymore. Well, nobody could possibly love you if you're not going out in the world. <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden the story changes, yeah. but it still feels really convincing. And so being able to confront ourselves around those fictions is so important. <laughs> well, do you remember when you were a kid and you were in science class and you learned that gases expand to take up whatever container they're yes. in? I tend to feel like my scary thoughts and the stories I tell myself are rather than like a solid thing. They're like a gas and they can expand to fill any space and they can work around a lot of things. I think the fact that I spend so much time thinking about these thoughts is probably a, maybe not helping them, <laughs> but <laughs> I've given them a big container. A lot of us, <laughs> right. We, we want to take 
the things and package them real small and stick them in a box on a shelf or whatever, but they have a tendency to function more mm-hmm. like a gas where they spread around us. And so we have to stay aware and, and be gentle with ourselves when they crop up. So speaking of that gentleness, you know, you've been writing about depression and mental health for a long time. You've now interviewed all of these people and conducted all this research about depression and the impact it has on our relationships and our sexuality. And for people who are really struggling right now, where maybe depression is taking up more space than they'd like, um, what are some things that you found help with self-compassion? A big thing for me is small, achievable goals. Mm -hmm. I tend to be very all or nothing. Either I get up and do an hour-long workout today and walk 10,000 steps, or I should just lay on the couch and not move. (laughs) (laughs) And especially with my, um, my, my surgical spinal health injury history, that goes bad really fast in either direction. And so what I've been working with during this whole crisis is making sure I get up and move a little bit every hour and making sure I eat a vegetable at every meal. And like these little things that recognize that these things are important and can be helpful to me, but don't make it into a new way for me to fail. Yeah. And also recognizing that like sometimes it isn't going to happen. I, you know, many a healthful dinner has been planned in my head and then, you know, seen me eating like chips and dip in the evening as a meal because my God, life is so rough right now. Things are so hard. And if your source of comfort is not moving, is eating, you know, sugar, whatever it is you're into, give yourself the space for that to happen we've got to be better about all or nothing thinking and giving ourselves the space to like, yeah, okay, right now I need to just lay here and do nothing or lay here and watch this stupid television show or whatever. I think if we give ourselves the space to do that sometime, we're less likely to hit that burnout point where we then want to do it all the time and do nothing else and are just desperately trying to soothe and comfort ourselves. The all or nothing thinking can just be such a trap. And, you know, I I think like part of where that all or nothing thinking comes from is diet culture, right? You're either like doing the right thing or you've completely blown it. You've either stuck to the plan or you have to start all over again. All over. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love this invitation to do the things that feel like they're going to get you through right now, knowing you can change your mind at any point. And, you know, I think we need to be gentle about the coping mechanisms we have, right? So I think our society really judges people who use food as like a comforting mechanism, as a coping thing. But honestly, there's a crowd of smokers outside my building every day. And I look at them and I think, oh, yes, that is their coping mechanism. That is their thing. And so, you know, if for me it's carbs and sugar, sometimes it's helpful to take that moment to, like, thank my brain for knowing that that will soothe it 
and indulge that. And then there's times for me to recognize that if I eat only those things, I will actually in the end just feel like way worse. And I want to be clear, not in a diety, like I ate bad things way, but in a brain health and giving your body the things it needs to thrive mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And finding the balance between that, finding the times when, you know, I'm drinking my smoothie full of vegetables so I can get some vegetables in my body. And when I'm like, eh, you know, I can't even think about any of this right yeah. now. I also think something yeah. that can help so much with self-compassion is being really deliberate about what we're taking in as far as like mm. news messages, you know, I mean, like if it, if, if it's not feeling really good, don't be following people who are telling you like, this is when you're going to write your next book or when you have to be the most productive <laughs> of your life or people who are yeah. telling you, you should be treating this like some kind of fancy spa vacation. It's not, it's hard, yeah. you know, follow people who are offering a lot of self-compassion tips, self-regulation suggestions, who are offering tools for being soft and tender with ourselves, you know, tr- literally turn off the news and maybe ask someone to just let you know if something important happens. Um, talk to friends who make you feel good, not friends that make you feel like you have to perform. I mean, we can make some choices mm-hmm. about what's coming into our bubble. And I find that that also helps. Like, because if I'm comparing myself to all of these people who are performing that this is the most productive time mm-hmm. of their life, that isn't going to help my mental health as much as following a whole bunch of therapists who are offering me really kind, like daily affirmations. I actually said to my partner the other day, I am so glad that this book is finished and out in the world because if this crisis had hit while I was writing this book, mm-hmm. I would be beating myself up so hard about not getting the book done with all of this time I allegedly have now and not recognizing that we are collectively in the midst of a trauma. Yep. And, you know, sure, some people cope by diving into work and a lot of people do not cope that way and that is okay too. Yeah. 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 It's um, a thing I've struggled with a lot that I kind of, want to be open about because I tend to feel like if I'm struggling with this, maybe other people are too. Um, You and I joked a bit before we started recording about how teaching webinars is basically like teaching into a mirror for an hour because you can't see anybody else and you just see yourself. And I think a lot of us, you know, we don't have access to the people who do our hair. We're not putting makeup on. We're like the things that we usually use to make ourselves feel like our, you know, sexiest, happiest version. We don't have access to. So if you, like me, do not want to video chat with a bunch of friends, send Marco Polo videos, be in three different Zoom groups, like... I eventually I had a day last week where I kind of snapped at five people in my life because they all at once in the same day were like, why aren't you doing more Skype? Why aren't you sending me these videos? Why aren't we? And I had to say to everybody, like, I, I was in a bad place before this. Yeah. I didn't want to look at myself before this. You all being home due to a virus did not change that. Yeah. So I need everybody to accept my no on that. And I think people need to be aware that it's okay to say no mm-hmm. on that. 
Yeah. Like not everybody's going to want to do the virtual cocktail hour and the, like all of the things that people have come up with yeah. to socialize during this. And that's okay, folks. You don't have to do those things. Exactly. And it makes me think too, there's so many suggestions right now and they're, they are helpful suggestions for some of us. You know, I have been in long distance, long-term relationships where doing like Skype dates and, and Skype sex mm-hmm. and phone sex was literally how we had sex 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh And so there's a lot of articles coming out about how to keep the flame alive, how to make things still feel new amid, you know, physical isolation. And there's lots of suggestions for exactly those things, like doing Skype dates and having phone sex and doing video sex. And I've seen lots of sex educators organizing online threesomes and online play parties. And I love that there's technology available for those things. And... You are not doing it wrong. You are not a failure. You are in no way obligated to do any of those things if they don't feel good. Yeah. And I think, I think it took, I keep saying it took like a little less than two weeks for all the kind of real world bullshit that we deal with and and the social pressures and the sexual pressures and all that stuff to fully creep into isolation. Like, the first week or so, nobody knew what was going on. And then by the end of that second week, there was all of these options of things you could do online. And that feeling that like, look, we can still carry on our sex lives and our social lives and our whatever. And it just brought a bunch of pressure to isolating. And I think it's great that it's provided options. I think for people who are feeling that pressure, we need to be very clear we are not on vacation. We are isolating to protect ourselves and others from an illness that has been deadly. That can be the thing you are doing right now. That's okay. And I I think it's important to be really open about that because I, I just imagine that there's all these people out there who now feel like they are not doing like a good enough job of being the ideal self-isolator with like a perfect loaf of freshly baked bread and (laughs) an ongoing chat group. (laughs) (laughs) And for people who are, are in situations where maybe they're cohabitating with someone and they really are feeling impacted by all of this, maybe their depression's at an all-time high. What's the one thing you really hope people take away as far as like sex and, and being with a partner who might be feeling differently than you about sex, either feeling really sexy and wanting sex and maybe your libido's low or maybe really having a low libido and you're kind of like, well, this is how I soothe. What, what's kind of like the main thing you want people to take away? I want people to understand that to navigate situations like that, it's just really important that you're communicating with each other. Because what can happen a lot, especially with sex, because we as a culture are enamored with the idea of things coming naturally. And we look at sex and we're like, what? Sex drive. It's inherent. We all want sex. But our feelings about sex can change wildly day to day, hour to hour, whatever. So make sure you're still talking to each other and checking in and, you know, 
I've had times where I've said to my partner, you know, I'm going to want all of the sex the next time I see you. And then I've had other times where I've been like, I don't want anyone to touch me at all. And that has nothing to do with you. So in order to kind of avoid that feeling of like, I'm saying no to sex, thus I'm saying no to you and rejecting you, or I'm now hounding you for sex, that open conversation about what's going on and why can be really helpful. Also, everybody should read Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, Mm -hmm. because there has never been a better time to think about sexual accelerators, sexual breaks, the power of context, because we are in just a very different context than most of us are used to. And understanding that that could affect your, your desire for sex yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm so excited because you are speaking at Explore More Summit this year, which starts tomorrow. Holy shit. Uh, when this drops. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm super excited. You are going to be talking all about all of the research you did and the data and what it revealed about depression and resentment and so many other things. So thanks for being here on the podcast and thank you for being a part of the summit because everybody who's listening to this should totally go check out your talk. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for having me in the summit. I think it's one of the, I feel like it's become one of the like most fun and um, exciting kind of events we have happening every year in sex world. Because in my experience, a lot of like the conferences and stuff is a bunch of sex people talking to sex people. (laughs) The Explore More Summit has been a great way to like, it just loops in so many different people. Mm and lets us talk about these things that a lot of people don't get to hear about in their day-to-day lives. And by the way, folks, it's free if we have not mentioned that. Yes. Yes. You can see all the talks free if you're there April 20th to the 29th. And it's, it's a tremendous way to keep all that stuff accessible to people who frequently don't hear these conversations Mm -hmm. in their lives. And for people who want to stay in touch with you, get your book. I know you're working on some online workshops around sex and depression. So how can people get your book, learn about your workshops and stay in touch? Okay. So folks, my website is redheadbedhead.com. My book, The Monster Under the Bed, Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We Aren't Having is available from a bunch of places. If you want an easy shortcut, go to redheadbedhead.com slash monster. Um, when this comes out, I will actually be teaching two um, workshops on navigating sex and depression, and they will be online. And you can get the information from them at redheadbedhead.com slash virtual. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, I am just my name, Joellen Nadi, on all of the networks. And I think those are all the ways to find Yay! me. Well, I will have links to all those things in the show notes so people listening can just click right through from their device that they're listening on. And you and I are going to go record a little bonus for Patreon supporters. So if you support the show at $3 a month and above, you get all kinds of awesome bonus content, including more with Joe Ellen. So head to patreon.com slash SGR podcast for that. And we're going to go do that now. Bye. You used to light up like a spark Now you're blue Treading water in the dark 
A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder, what will you do differently that rewrites an old story, revitalizes a stuck relationship, or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure? So don't be